Welcome in the point after a college football show, episode 23. And man, we got a special one for you. Week 10 preview and predictions. And I can't remember a great weekend like this one since I believe it was the Texas Bama weekend. Week four was our last one that was like this. We've got eight games for you. Last week we had eight games, but these eight games are must-watch television. Cancel your work day on Saturday if you work. Cancel going to a wedding. Cancel going to that bridal shower. Cancel going to your daughter's pageant or dance recital or whatever. And sit your ass at home and watch college football all day. And We are here to prepare you for everything that you need to know for all eight games. But as always, I'm joined by Cody Oaks, my guy, the QB guru himself, Cody. How are we feeling on this Thursday morning? And what a hell of a week 10 we have coming up. Man, you know, feeling great. Uh, my girl took me out for lunch yesterday to celebrate Woo. some good times. Got me like a nice little gift to go with it. So, friend of the friend of the program, friend of the program. Absolutely, absolutely. Shout out, <laughs> shout out. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, times is good. It's college football season. It's November. The games that you remember are played in November. November. So, man, just really excited. Some really good games on the slate. Can't wait to break them down. Hell yeah. Let's start out with the SEC. Let's waste no time. And this one, we said before the season was going to be a pivotal one that could change the rankings. Now, we didn't think that LSU would have two losses, but they have a chance to you know, turn the season around when it comes to their standpoint of the SEC or even the playoff. LSU, 14 LSU goes on the road at 8 Alabama. This is 4.45 p.m., 6.45 Alabama time. It's going to be a night game, screaming. Alabama's a three-point favorite. And, I mean, this is do or die for both teams. My first takeaway, do or die. We got to acknowledge the talent on this field. There's a bunch of NFL talent there. But you look to last year, Alabama, they lost to Tennessee. Got that one out of the way. Now, this one, they've got LSU at home. They're going to try to get a win here with more on the line. But I'm going to throw it to you, Cody, first. Biggest, what is your biggest thing to watch? What's your biggest thing when you look at this game on both sides of the football? Well, if you go back a year, I specifically said – that LSU is always the best equipped to beat Alabama. Now, last year, the mobile quarterback, receivers winning one-on-one matchups, and being able to essentially play off script in the passing game. What did LSU do? They moved Jaden Daniels around. He ran the football, with used his legs a lot. And matter of fact, he scored the game-winning touchdown. Um, well, actually, technically it was... The game, t- the, he scored the touchdown in overtime before the two point conversion that they won. With, by the way, he rolled out on that play too. Um, mm. But LSU, their offense versus the Alabama defense, because I think ultimately, that's literally LSU's, what I have. That's literally what I have on the top right here. <laughs> yeah, LSU's LSU's offense versus Alabama's defense. Can Caleb Downs and Kool Aid McKinstry play well enough to slow down? Because you're not going to stop Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. But can they slow them down enough, just enough, to allow Alabama's offense to kind of get on track? Alabama has had slow starts in the past. Um, I'll say this. If Alabama, if you start slow against this LSU offense and they get hot, they might run away with this one. So um, especially the way that Jaden Daniels is playing right now, could we see a Heisman moment maybe from Jaden Daniels in this game? You never know. Michael Penix has kind of started to sputter a little bit. Caleb Williams has sputtered. Um J.J. McCarthy is starting to kind of elevate, but not as at the same peak as a Jaden Daniels. So um, I said at the beginning of the year that he was going to get an invite to New York. I think this could this game could be a big step towards that for him. 
And you look at most people in you know our industry that are analyze college football, they've got Jaden Daniels in their top three, which acknowledges that he's balling right now. He's carrying this LSU team despite the losses. But my, my biggest thing, I, I want to I want to start out here. My biggest thing to watch. I want to throw it to you too. What kind of role is Harold Perkins going to play in this game? Right, he's had kind of a weird season. He's a hell of an athlete. He's going to be a top pick next year, but he's only had three sacks. They had him at the edge rusher position. That's where he got most of his sacks. But most most of the season, we've seen him as a middle linebacker. I I saw Joel Clyde or someone talking about this. How they think that he should be a QB spy on Milrow. I think opposite. I think he should be an edge rusher and pressure Milrow personally. But I would like to throw it to you, Cody, and see how you think that Harold Perkins should be played. I think he should be an edge rusher, but also if he's a middle linebacker, QB spy, maybe he can eliminate not only Milrow as a spy, but maybe McClellan out of the backfield too. But I'm curious to see your thoughts on what role you think Harold Perkins is going to be because that's a guy that's going to be pivotal and must win games, especially at Alabama. Yeah, you know, I think uh, the the QB spy role is perfect. The reason being, Jalen Milrow does really, really good off script, similar to a Jaden Daniels. What's best about mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels, he rolls out, he makes plays on the run. Jalen Milrow, I would argue, is probably just as, if not more explosive in the run game, running the football, going off script on passing plays, getting out of the pocket. And so if you're able to have a Harold Perkins being able to harass him, keep him in the pocket, and not allow him to kind of get out and use his dynamic legs, I think that will bode well for this LSU defense. I think on the other side of it, too, for the LSU defense, they got to apply pressure because their DBs are atrocious. So you've got, <laughs> you've got Jermaine Burton on the outside. you got Isaiah Bond. They've got to win those one-on-one matchups against LSU. Miro, I, I expect a lot of explosive passes, a lot of explosive plays, get the crowd going. They didn't really do that in the first half against Tennessee. They did in the second half. Um, his LSU DBs are terrible. I think Mason Smith and Harold Perkins got to get to the quarterback there, Cody. Um, any more LSU defensive things that stand out to you um, when they got to stop Alabama? I think if LSU if LSU can force two Jalen Milrow turnovers, two, whether it's a fumble and a pick, two picks, two fumbles, a fourth down stop, whatever it might be, two Jalen Milrow turnovers, I think LSU is going to be in a really good spot. Jalen Milrow has kind of shown that in big games he's been prone to a turnover or two. And I mm. think the way LSU's offense is playing – You can't give them extra snaps. If LSU's offense is on the field for 75, 80 snaps, Bama probably loses this football game. If they can limit LSU and they can get them off the the field and maybe sustain some drives on the offensive side, run the Mm. football with Jason McClellan, maybe even Jalen Milrow using his legs and maybe some zone read RPO stuff on on their side, and maybe have LSU running 55 to 65 plays on the offensive side, I think that's what'll bode well for Alabama in this football game. My last point, we go. We talk about LSU's defense versus Alabama's offense, and then we'll, we'll, we'll flip it there because that's going to be the majority of the conversation. LSU's red zone defense, and I think this game is going to be decided in the red zone, Cody. Fun fact for you, they're 127th in FBS in red zone defense. They've allowed 96.3% of scores inside the red zone, 26 out of 27, which includes 19 touchdowns, 11 pass, 8 rush, and then 7 field goals. Bro. And on the other side of it, Alabama's offense is 20th in the FBS and 21%, and most of those being touchdowns. So I'm curious to see the one-on-one matches we talked about. I think Jermaine Burton's going to be huge in the red zone there against these poor defensive backs. But if you're LSU in the red zone, I think if you can force field goals, you win. But, I mean, they're prone to letting some kind of score there, Cody, when it comes to the red zone. So I want to throw it to you. Offensively, how do you think 
that Milrow and them can do in the red zone or some things that, you know, you're a passing game coordinator there in Canada. And then the other side of it, how can LSU stop them in the red zone? Yeah, I think uh, when you have the athletes that LSU does, when you start to get into that scoring, that red zone area, uh, usually you like to start to go man-to-man and lock up. And I think if you're able to have one-on-one matchups with Jermaine Burton, uh, Mr. Bond on the outside, I think those guys, if they can win those one-on-one matchups and s- score some touchdowns, obviously you can't – if you if you want to beat LSU, you can't score field goals. You can't mm-hmm. kick field goals. you got to score touchdowns when you get down in that scoring area. That is where, as we've talked all season, Jalen Milrow, that short and intermediate passing game, you're going to have to be sharp, you're going to have to be accurate, and you're going to have to make sure that you're getting your playmakers the football in space and allowing them to work. Let's go to the other side. Alabama's defense versus LSU's offense, the matchup we're going to be watching the entire game. I think my biggest standout for Alabama's standpoint, you mentioned the tempo of LSU. If they can somehow slow LSU down, they're not very good when it comes to slowing down. Against Ole Miss, they had the ball with, I think, two minutes and 30 seconds left. And they couldn't even go slow pace there to try to even close out a game. They had to go fast pace because it just threw everything off. They ended up losing that game. So how do you slow down LSU? I think penalties is a big one. 11 penalties they had against Mizzou. That crowd is going to be loud. They've got to be loud against them. I think also tackles for losses. If you can, you know, stuff LSU with Logan Diggs, a running back, a really good running back there for tackles for loss on first and second down, make those third and longs big for this LSU team and being able to stuff the run. But um, I think they got to be able to contain Daniels. I don't know how you're going to be able to contain Daniels. He's going to get his own. But if they can do those three things and slow the momentum out for LSU, it plays into their favor. But I'm going to throw it back to you. What are some things Alabama can do to stop stop them on the offensive side of the ball? And then we'll go to LSU's offense. Well, right now Alabama is giving up 197 yards per game passing, which is great. (laughs) Top 10 in the country. Hmm. but. Guess who's the number one offense in total yards per game? LSU. Guess who's the number one points per game team in the country? LSU. Yikes. Number one receiver in the country for yards, Malik Neighbors, plays for LSU. Hmm. Brian Thomas, Jr., top 15 receiver, plays for LSU, leads the nation in touchdown catches, LSU. Jane Daniels, touchdowns responsible for, second to Caleb Williams, plays for LSU. I, like this game, <laughs> this game reminds me of the Alabama LSU game of 2019 when it was Tua versus Joe Burrow, and I like I see this game might might get into the 40s for both teams. Like it's I don't know if Alabama's defense has faced an offense like this. I think Jaden Daniels is even better, obviously even better than he was last year when he absolutely torched this Alabama defense. I think the Alabama defense was even better last year. Um, so that's not a great equation when the quarterback who torched you last year he's better and the defense that you try to stop him with is worse like mm. that gap is widening so um yeah like i said i have it written down here jane daniels quote-unquote heisman moment i don't know early, early november heisman statement game for jane daniels uh we'll see if lsu's offense can get the job done against alabama how can alabama contain daniels or how can they force him to stay inside the pocket cody that's my question to you sure you're more you're more of a you know your quarterback guy offensive and defensive you're more in the you know the playbook and schemes and stuff than i am I, my curious to you what would you do if your bama's defense kind of try to contain him make him uncomfortable on the defensive side of the ball? sure um i'd say 
a couple different things. Blitz, zone blitz him to his front side, which means if I'm a right-handed quarterback and you bring the blitz to my front side, which would be my right side, that means I have to rush and get out to the left side, which mm. makes, as a right-handed thrower rolling to my left, it makes it harder to push the ball down the field. So I would say do that. Um, maybe mush the rush. What a lot of people don't understand is mushing the rush means instead of going full bore 100%, you kind of, you rush with your kind of your head on a swivel and almost like allow yourself to be blocked a little bit to then kind of shed the block and come downhill on Jaden Daniels should he break the pocket. Um, add in maybe a cool, like, maybe like a, a, a safety spy, maybe have Caleb Downs drop into the box and be a spy. Um, mm. Mix up your looks. Make him make him keep guessing. If you can slow Jaden Daniels' read down and make him uncomfortable, get to reads number two, three, and four, um, and not allow him to just pick on that number one read, I think that's where you'll have the most success if you're Alabama. Key players, and then we'll get into our predictions here. I think a key player, and this guy was an X-Factor last year, uh, Mason Taylor for LSU, tight end. They're going to be so focused on the outside with Neighbors and with Thomas. Kool-Aid McKinstry is probably going to follow Neighbors, you would say. And they're going to go to Neighbors, obviously being LSU, that's their best weapon. But at some points, Kool-Aid's going to get his own. So can he find Mason Taylor in the middle? Tight end is a quarterback's best friend. You know that too. Easy passes in the middle, super reliant, big body. Mason Taylor's got to do that for them to win. Um, what's a key player for you? Then we'll get into some matchups. I think it's Brian Thomas Jr. Similar to how you said Mason Taylor is going to kind of be that next uh, target after Malik Neighbors, because as we know, more than likely Kool-Aid McKinstry is going to follow him around. That means to me, Brian Thomas Jr., you're going to have to step up like you have been all season, kind of taking the world by storm. Um, I think Brian Thomas Jr., you're going to have to go for 125, 150 yards receiving in this game in order wow. for LSU to win this football game. Wow. Key matchup for me, and this one's probably, you didn't see this one coming, but me being a Notre Dame guy, Brian Kelly versus Tommy Reese. How oh, about that God. matchup? The OC of Tommy Reese versus Brian Kelly, more of a defensive mind. How will Tommy Reese be? They say, oh, this is a normal game. This is not a normal game, okay? This, Tommy Reese is going to want to do something, want to prove something to Brian Kelly. That matchup's going to be interesting, and I'm interested to see how his offensive approach changes or is the same with Brian Kelly on the other side. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Brian Kelly kind of known as like a quarterback guy. So, you know, Tommy Reese was like one of his one of mm. his guys. Mm, yeah. um, so I'm sure they'll have a little bit of banter before the game. I'm sure that they'll have a, a Coach Kelly cam or a Coach Reese cam for the game. They'll probably meet at the at the 50, um, exchange some pleasantries. But no, yeah, the 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 game of chess is going to be great to watch uh, this weekend. Um, L anytime LSU and Bama get together, it's always uh, must see TV. Can't wait for this game. All right, let's get into our predictions. This is a tough game. I've been back and forth on it the whole time, but I'm going to start. I got Alabama, and I think here's why. I think when it comes down to it, the Jalen Middle can limit the turnovers. It's going to be a barn burner in this one. It's going to be back and forth, but I think if you can limit the turnovers. And home field advantage, slight advantage for Alabama. But I think it's close. The spread is minus three for Bama. I think this is a field goal game, but I think it's going to be a one or two point game. I got Alabama winning 30 to 28. But man, I don't feel good about it. It's going to be a great game. I'm excited. Nestler and Danielson on the call. But I got Bama winning and continuing their SEC West journey to making it to the championship. Great pick. Love Brian Denny. Love Alabama. The tide are moving in the right direction right now. But However. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Daniels, 
had his big kind of coming out moment last year against the Tide at home. Mm. I think he's confident. I think he's been able to find his guys, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. The last time there were two receivers at LSU on this type of track, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, you saw what they did when they went into Alabama in 2019. Um, I think this is a similar type of game. Uh, That game ended up 47-41. I'm going to go 38-35 LSU. Jaden Daniels solidifies himself with a spot in New York. And I think LSU rides this wave of momentum all the way to Atlanta for the SEC championship. God, this is going to be such a good game. These November games, man, do or die. Excited to watch that LSU-Alabama. If you've got nothing to do in the afternoon, put that game on. But there's another game on the same time. 4.30 4.30 in the West Coast, Pac-12 matchup, 5, Washington at 20, USC. This is a prove-it game for Washington. They got to get back on track. Both teams back on track. USC got a win last week after two losses in a row. Washington, been a couple struggle weeks. People are kind of questioning Washington right now, saying Oregon's the best team in the Pac-12. I know they're hearing those rumblings right now. Since that Washington beat Oregon, they've been kind of sluggish the last two weeks. What's the biggest key? What's the biggest standout when you look at this game on both sides, Washington, USC for you? Find Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk early and often, Michael Penix. Find your guys. Let them work for you. USC's defense sucks. You guys should score 50 in this game if you guys do it right. (laughs) Avoid the turnovers. Michael Penix versus Caleb Williams, who blinks first. To me, Caleb Williams is a little bit too much of a gunslinger. Although, Michael Penix, you have thrown a couple more picks Then normal the last couple weeks, it's been a little bit of a concern. Um, We already know Adunze and Polk are going to get theirs. Who's going to be the third option? To me, don't be surprised if you see Giles Jackson get his feet in the end zone again this week. Mm. Number zero, scored a touchdown against Oregon. Um, And then can for USC, can Zach Branch get going again? Um, He's been rolling the last two games, 10 catches for 214 yards. They're starting to find him more and more. Um, however, he hasn't scored a touchdown. So is he going to be able to do something in the return game, something electric, maybe a end around, a reverse, a screen, a deep ball, something to mm. make sure that he gets in the end zone and gets that uh, offense rolling? Um, and then can can USC's defense keep Penix under 50? I, I Like, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. What's interesting about Zach Branch, too, we talked about him before the season on guys that we think are going to have a big year, breakout year. We said Zach Branch, like we said Caleb Downs. But it's interesting because before the season, I didn't think Zach Branch was going to be that big of a role because of how many weapons they have. They are so reliant on him right now because now they've, you know, Brandon Rice hasn't been there recently. Taj Washington, Mario Williams, they're good receivers, but they haven't been the explosive breakout guys like Zach Branch as a freshman. That's something very interesting. Uh, When I look at this game for Washington, I think their defensive line has got to show out. They showed out against Oregon a couple weeks ago, but since that game, they've only had four sacks in three games. They had one sack last week, Trice being uh, last week against Stanford. But with an offensive line as bad as USC, which the last three games for them, they've allowed three, 13 sacks, they've got to take advantage of that offensive line battle. Their offensive line is so bad at USC. You're watching the defensive line, bring the pressure, make Caleb Williams uncomfortable. And Trice has got to, this is a breakout game for Braylon Trice, who most have as a first-round pick. On the other side of things, for USC, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Penix throwing a couple picks recently. They can force takeaways, and pivotal takeaways, you know, when, when Washington's on the ball, maybe on USC's 20 or USC's side of the field, those would be pivotal for USC to kind of set them up for success. Look at USC's side. What is USC's 
you know, defense needs to do against Penix. I mean, they got to slow him down somehow, Cody. I mean, you mentioned 50 points. It's going to be tough if if they score 50 points and USC's got to keep up with them. I think USC loses this game. But what can USC do defensively? What can they take from the Stanford and ASU games, which they kind of prove that, you know, Washington's Washington can struggle. They are human. But what does Washington, I mean, sorry, USC need to do against this Washington offense? Uh do a rain dance hope it rains um (laughs) oh my gosh yeah zero faith in this defense alex grinch i'm gonna say this if washington puts up 50 and lincoln riley doesn't fire alex grinch i feel like lincoln riley's got to be on the chopping block Ooh. Because if you're not willing to change, then the university is going to have to move on from that coaching staff. Because big, you're clearly not showing a that defense is a priority. We know your offense can score, bro, but can you stop anybody? Notre Dame put up a damn near 50. Like, Washington's offense is better than Notre Dame's. No disrespect, Jackson. But they are. No, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got Penix and the best wide receiver core in the league, and, and I mean, right. college football, and then you've got you know Johnson, which he needs to step up, but he's a, he's a decent running back. I mean, you can stretch the field vertically; you can do whatever the hell you want. So I agree with you. Okay, continue, continue. Yeah, no, I'm just I like USC. Hope that it rains. Hope that it's windy down there in the Coliseum, and something can throw off Michael Penix and these receivers. Because right now, I just don't see it, man. I just. I don't think that USC is able or even capable of making this game close on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, you got a pig farmer a couple weeks ago who looked like Johnny Manziel out there. Now you've got Michael Penix Jr., Heisman candidate. It's going to be a long day for the USC defense. Um, On the other side, for USC's offense, again, I think they can play a part in this game. They didn't play a part against Notre Dame with the takeaways, but if they can slow the game down, they can run the football, kind of play the Virginia, how Virginia played UNC. They got to slow the game down, and it all starts with my key player, Marshawn Lloyd. And there are two losses. He's had less than 100 yards. He had 86 against Utah and seven carries. He had eight carries for 46 against Notre Dame. I think they've got to slow the game down and keep Penix on the sideline, as well as keep this USC defense, get some oxygen, let them breathe a little bit. It's going to be a fast pace for Washington. So I think, you know, anywhere between. They're, they're no huddle. Not I'm not saying huddle, but maybe a little bit in between. I think it's called like a sugar huddle or something like that. Yeah. Where they're, you know, they, they kind of call it the play, read some signs, maybe flip the formation every once in a while to kind of get the play clock rolling. But I think that's my biggest key for USC's offense. Caleb Williams got to play a perfect game. What, what are some keys for you for USC's offense? And then we'll get to some key players. Caleb Williams, you got to do your best to stay upright. No sacks. Throw the ball away if you need to. Don't worry about efficiency. Um, Take what UW's defense gives you. Caleb Williams, sometimes you'll see him sit in the pocket and hold the ball and hold the ball and hold the ball. There's no way that the receivers that USC has, that first window, second window, third window, scramble drill, those guys Mm -hmm. aren't getting open at some point. Stop holding onto the ball. Get rid of the football. Get into a rhythm. And like you said, keep Washington's offense off the field. If USC's scoring or getting the ball giving the ball back to Washington after two to three plays or four plays or five plays, it's going to be a long night for USC. If they're going 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives on offense and fi- and finishing with touchdowns, that's the big thing. you got to finish with touchdowns. You cannot kick field goals against Washington, just ask mm-hmm. Oregon, and you will be in the game. I don't think you'll win it, but you'll be in the game. 
Key player for me, I think it's got to be Dylan Johnson for Washington. If somehow, some way, which I don't see it happening, USC's DBs, but they got to be able to be two dimensional. Last two games, he's had 84 yards, 18 carries against Stanford, then he had eight carries, only six against ASU. So USC's got to figure out something. Alex Grinch, I mean, he's obviously not a really good DC, but he's got to find a way to be able to slow him down and be one dimensional for Washington. But um, a key group for me has got to be USC's defensive line too. But what are some key players for you? When you look at this one, then we'll get into our prediction. I, Giles Jackson. Let's say USC. You limit Roma Dunze. You limit Jalen Polk. Oh, here comes Giles Jackson after six catches for 58 yards and a touchdown against Oregon. Mm. I just, there's just too much depth on Washington's sideline. To me, Washington's offense behind Michael, like Michael Penix is the guy. He's the straw that stirs the drink. I think that ultimately um, Washington's offensive line, if they keep him upright, because USC is known to actually pressure the quarterback fairly well. Um, if they can keep Michael Penix upright, it's going to be a long night. So I'll go off Washington's offensive line. Okay, Cody, I have a feeling who you're going to pick here, but what's your prediction for this one? I think Washington kind of silences the haters. I think they kind of see that they're on the outside looking in right now as opposed to where a lot of people have been kind of Joel Klatt being one saying like, oh, I think this Washington team is in the playoff. I said I think Washington was going to be in the playoff right now. Like I said, they're on the outside looking in. I think they're looking for an opportunity to make a statement at USC. I think they don't call the dogs off, pun intended. And I'm going to go 51-31 Washington. Woo! 51-31. I've got Washington winning 48-21, to so very close to you. I think this is going to be a long game, and if for betters out there, Washington minus three, that's it. I think you hammer the minus three for Washington in there. So low. Very Run that low. lineup, please. <laughs> <laughs> Run that lineup, which is interesting to see because if more betters start betting on Washington minus three, you'll start to see that line change to minus four, five, six in favor of Washington, too. (laughs) So that's funny. Uh, Let's go to the Big 12. In a a conference where it's do or die, both teams, Kansas State, 23 Kansas State at seven Texas. Now, Cody, I want to ask you, off the rip, you got Kansas State with Will Howard and Avery Avery Johnson. You got Texas with their backup, Malik Murphy. So I want to start out with the QB situations for both. Let's start out with Texas. How can, Cody, how can Texas – make a young quarterback in Malik Murphy, biggest start of his career, how can they make him comfortable in a pressured situation game, a must-win game for Texas? I want to start with Malik Murphy. The floor is yours. Run the football. Jonathan Brooks, that offensive line, you guys are the best unit probably on the football team. Be physical up front. Dominate the time of possession. Jonathan Brooks, you need to go for 150 to 175 in this game. On 30 carries. Like, they need to feed the beast. If he doesn't get over, let's, I'd say if he doesn't get over 125 yards, they are going to be in trouble. I think that right now, Texas is the more talented team. Obviously, they're deeper. Um, they have better skill positions. Like, there, there's no reason why Texas should lose this football game. However, we've seen it every single year that Texas does do a belly flop at some point. Um, but yeah, in order to make Malik Murphy comfortable, run the football, have success in the running game. It'll set up play action. That way DBs and safeties and linebackers can be a step slow getting out, and it'll open things up quickly and more efficiently for him. 
Uh, to that point, we talked about how on our reaction episode, how roles exceed big players. The roles step up when they're in a backup quarterback situation. A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jatavion Sanders, and the passing game might be the best receiver tight end group that we have in all of college football. Obviously, you know, Washington's wide receivers are very good. But when you add the tight end there, Jatavion Sanders gives them a little plus. I think those three combined got to have at least, would you say, 225 yards between the three of them? Minimum. Man, I'm going to be the leaders. Yeah. Got to be the leaders there. And then the other side um, for the quarterback situation, two quarterback system, which last year Kansas State did with Adrian Martinez and Will Howard. Martinez gets banged up. Will Howard kind of takes snaps later on. Will Howard struggles early. Avery Johnson comes in, they see new life. But Will Howard's been starting to get more snaps back into that full time role. Um, what are your thoughts about, you know, one, the quarterback system they got going there? And two, how do you see this quarterback system being played against Texas? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's working for Kansas State, right? They've had a lot of success. The last two games, they've outscored their opponents 82-3. to You know, they beat uh, Houston 41 nothing, and then I think they got uh, TCU 41-3. to So um, it's working for them. I feel like if it's not broke, don't fix it right now. Um, Will Howard got to have to use your legs a little bit. Same with Avery Johnson. Um, can Texas's defense... Can Texas's defense keep them in this football game? Because if Kansas State starts rolling up the rushing yards, 250, 275 yards rushing against this Texas defense, I don't think the uh, that will throw off Malik Murphy's rhythm enough to where they're not going to have a lot of success on the offensive side of the ball. Agreed. Agreed. Texas's defense got to step up, force field goals for him. And I think the biggest thing with Will Howard and Avery Johnson um, Avery Johnson hasn't really passed the ball much. He's only had his, his best, uh, his highest passing was 90 yards, 5 of 10 against TCU. So if you can force him to throw, and Avery Johnson's in the game too. And the other side for Will Howard, I saw something. It's like two, every two touchdowns he throws, he throws a pick. So if, yep. if, if Texas can get a couple turnovers, which they did against Keaton Slovis last week, I think that's going to be huge in Texas's favor. And then the other side of things for Kansas State, my biggest, my biggest takeaway here, I think they got to stack the box. Um, you mentioned all the time different pressures at Murphy. When I looked last week, I looked at some tape from last week against BYU. His interception and his fumble. Both times he was pressured. The interception was off his back foot, guy in his face. You got, people always say this all the time. Don't throw it late middle. Throw late middle. Interception. Just kind of an advised throw there for Murphy. And then the other side of it for his fumble was off a play action fake. Pressured once again. Gets fumbled. So my question to you, Cody. When is the best time? to blitz against a, not even just a young quarterback, but a quarterback in general? And how do you see Kansas State playing, you know, a Murphy when, when he's a young quarterback, but still just any quarterback in a big-time game like this? Like, when is it best, would you say, to blitz? I'd say I'd blitz him early and often because the more comfort, uncomfortable you make him and you're able to sap, <clears throat> sap his confidence a little bit at the beginning of the game, hmm. that'll give you guys confidence on the defense side of the ball. It'll also give your offense time to kind of get rolling against the physicality and the speed of Texas's defense. So I think if you can blitz him early and often, force him maybe into a mistake, a pick, um, or similar to what Dylan Gabriel did last week against Kansas, God forbid, a pick six, um, mm. just to get points on the board early, make them play from behind. If Texas has to play from behind, they will lose this football game. Malik Murphy is not built like that, no disrespect, to be able to drive this team the length of the field to win a football game or to tie a football game late. Both times BYU sacked or forced pressure, they brought six. On second and long, we're both of them. Second and long is definitely something to take advantage for them. Any more keys for you when it comes to Kansas State? This feels like, for me, we talked about the quarterback situation. I just feel like 
Will Howard's going to be playing 80-20. I don't think it's going to be 50-50. What are your thoughts on that? And then your thoughts on what keys, more keys for Kansas State? Yeah, you know, uh, Will Howard's been there. He's been there. He's done that. Um, They brought in Adrian Martinez last year as a transfer from Nebraska. They were like, oh, this is going to be the guy. Will Howard stepped up as needed, made the plays necessary for them to win the Big 12 last year. So he's been through the fire. He's been able to be there and make the plays in the past, and I think he's going to be able to do it again to – this last this next weekend, like you said, um, uh, it's going to probably be like an 80, 20, maybe 75, 25, but it's going to definitely be Will Howard's show this weekend. Mm-hmm. Will Howard, 0-2 against Texas. First time he played was in 21. Last time he played actually was in 21. He was 9 of 13, 65 yards. They lost that game. So a little revenge there for Will Howard. But my last question for you, what are some key players that you're going to be watching out? And then we'll get into our predictions. Absolutely. Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell. The wide receivers from Texas, you guys are going to have to help your your guy Malik Murphy out. If he's going to throw up a 50-50 ball, it's got to be yours. Um, and maybe you'll have to break up a couple passes that were probably underthrown or thrown in the wrong spot. Um, they're going to have to have the game of their lives um, against that Kansas State secondary. Kansas State normally has big physical corners that play a very aggressive style. Um, Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell are more kind of like the fast – kind of twitchy wide receivers as opposed to big and physical guys. So we'll see if they're going to be able to uh, get off the jam and play play big against that Kansas State defense. Well, that was exactly my key players as well, so we'll keep it short and sweet there. Uh, <laughs> A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy got a ball out like you mentioned. All right, prediction time. I got Texas winning this game. I know it's a close spread. I believe the spread is three in favor of Texas. I think Kansas State's going to play them tough. I think who can be more physical in this game is going to come down to I got Texas winning. I'm just looking at the spread real quick just to make sure. Texas is favored by four. Um, I'm going to go Texas wins. I mean, they win. It's going to be close. I'm going to go 25-21. Good call. I think Malik Murphy throws a pick. Mm. Six. And Kansas State sneaks out of Austin and takes the Big 12 lead. 24-21, 24-21, Kansas State. What's so, what's so crazy about that is if that were to happen, the Big 12 would probably be out most likely. And it's funny how the Big 12 is. I, I saw someone talk about it today. It was like either it could be Oklahoma-Texas, like people predicted, or it could be like Oklahoma State versus Kansas State in the Big 12 championship. Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> wild, wild. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out there. Um, let's move to our next game, Cody. We're going to the Pac-12 once again. A ton of great games here for this slate. Night game, 19 UCLA at Arizona. you got Arizona has been hot recently, coming off of a big win against Oregon State. UCLA coming off of a big win, maybe a biggish win against Colorado. You know, the, the, the public and stuff like that, they've always been all over Colorado. Uh, UCLA is favored by three in this game, a night game in Tucson. you got Ethan Garbers versus Noah Fafita. Let's start out there with the quarterbacks. Ethan Garbers, what'd you like? What'd you see from him last week? Two picks, but man, is the game won the game for him there. Uh, let's start with Ethan Garbers, and then we'll go Noah Fafita, who's been the hottest Pac-12 quarterback, I think, yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, um, I think uh, Ethan Garbers, if you turn the ball over this weekend, you're going to lose by two touchdowns. You cannot turn the football over against this Arizona team. Their defense is playing extremely aggressive, physical style of football right now. Mm. Um, it's almost like Noah Fafita has kind of like in, like injected like a level of confidence and swagger into this team. 
um, on the offensive side of the ball. They're running the football really, really well. Um, so what I would say is UCLA, you're going to have to definitely uh, run the football with Carson Steele if you want Ethan Garbers to be able to have the opportunity to throw the football down the field. So uh, run the football, create opportunities in the play action. Um, hopefully, if you run the ball well on first and second down, or even first down, um, creating second and short opportunities will allow Ethan Garbers to not only open up the playbook, to, but to be aggressive, pushing the ball down the field to his receivers. What do you like about Noah Fafita? Let's go to Noah Fafita's side. What's not to like about Noah Fafita? Obviously, <laughs> all-name team, Noah Fafita, great name. Um, but also just his poise under pressure, right? At the end of the day, like if you watched Jaden Delora play the game, Noah Fafita is almost like a more relaxed, more accurate, and just better Jaden Delora. They're the same stature, kind of short, stockier, um, Hawaiian kid, or sorry, Samoan kid, um, and uh, just able to play the position at such a high level um, at such a young age. Like, it's fun to watch him just deal the football, Jacob Cowling, Tedderoa McMillan, um, he's been avoiding the big mistake, which has been awesome to see. Um, he's been able to push the ball down the field, be aggressive, um, with those wide receivers on the outside. No Fafita is like, like you said, he's been probably one of the hottest quarterbacks, if not the hottest quarterback in the Pac-12 the last few weeks. Big win over Washington State. Big win last week against Oregon State. Um, yeah, on a roll. Arizona still with an outside shot. If, Crazier things happen to get into the Pac-12 championship with only two conference losses right now. So mm. don't be surprised if the Wildcats make some noise down the stretch. Big keys to victory. Let's start with Arizona. I think they've got to be able to stop Carson Steele. Let Ethan Garbers, if Ethan Garbers wins you with his arm, by all means, UCLA deserves to win this football game. Two interceptions last, last week, and those two interceptions, the dude stares the crap out of his wide receivers. Not very mobile. Stares to one side. Doesn't really look off safeties much last week of what I saw from Colorado. I think that's a big thing they got to do. Carson Steele, coming off of two fumbles last week. You already know when it comes to guys that have come off fumbles like that, the entire week the ball security is going to be emphasized. It's going to be ingrained in his head. You know, him carrying two footballs around everywhere, getting punched out. Maybe they tell, you know, the scout team, hey, after runs, after, after long runs, punch the football from behind. Don't stop punching the football until the ball is being set. Like I, I used to do that all the time at Montana when I was struggling with fumbling in practice. I'd, I'd run, think the play was over, boom. Ball gets <laughs> ball, yeah, exactly. Ball gets punched out. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're running laps. So I think the biggest thing at F is he's going to be nervous when it comes to you know running the football. Maybe he'll have certain carries that make him comfortable in that situation. But I think that's a point of emphasis for Arizona. Punch the football out. And they did well against Damian Martinez last week with 87 yards. Old Carson Steele under 100. You're in a good situation there for Arizona. Absolutely. Arizona, if you can first, I'd say if Arizona forces two to three turnovers, they probably win this football game. Mm. And if, if you're a guy that loves the trenches, this is a game to watch. Because Arizona's offensive line, probably one of the better offensive lines in the Pac-12 versus the best defensive line in the Pac-12. With uh, Lele Tua, two. Um, he had two sacks last week against Colorado, two tackles for losses. He's got eight and, a half, eight and a half sacks this whole season. And the Murphy boys, Grayson and Gabriel Murphy. Look at these guys up. The, they're two dominant. twins, identical, dominant. When you're defensive linemen, all three defensive linemen are your leading sackers, and they can, you can only rush three or four, and maybe even five, and then get to the quarterback. It's unreal. They both had one and a half sacks, two tackles for losses last week. They've got they've got nine and a half sacks between the between the two Murphy brothers. 
Um, that's huge. I mean, if they can get to Noah Fafita, make him uncomfortable, especially the edge rushes there. I think that's something to look out for. Uh, I mean, Arizona, they only allowed four sacks last week. That's kind of a lot, not not too bad against an Oregon State front. But my last thing with offensive defensive line, and I'll throw it to you, Cody. Jordan Morgan, a guy to look out for for Arizona's offensive tackle. Most haven't projected as a first-round talent. And then lay two, lay two. I just mentioned the UCLA defensive end. So I love seeing those offensive line and defensive line matchups because when those guys go to the league, you'll probably see that once again. But if you're an offensive lineman or defensive lineman out there that wants to see some good trenches, some battles in the trenches, this is the game to watch out for. And Morgan and Latou are the two guys to look. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime it's offensive line versus defensive line, that means that it's going to be directly affecting the quarterback. Can Noah Fafita stay upright, avoid a mm. turnover? Um, and can Ethan Garbers do the same? Um, Arizona's DB, DBs and defense have been playing extremely aggressive. Uh, so don't be surprised if you maybe see a double move in the passing game for UCLA just to take advantage of that aggressiveness from the Arizona secondary. Um, and can Justin Flo continue to be um, the run stopper and kind of like the emotional leader of this Arizona defense? We didn't even mention him too. Jonah Coleman for Arizona is going to be a big guy. If they can when they blitz, third and long, second and long, find him at the check down. Him and Wiley there, I think are going to be big in the passing game. What's a key player for you? We'll get into our predictions. Tedaroa McMillan, wide receiver, Arizona. Noah Fafita, that's your boy. Feed him early and often. Make sure that Tetaroa McMillan is eaten. I say eight catches, 135 yards, two touchdowns, um, and some timely third down conversions as well for Tetaroa McMillan. I mentioned it. I think Latou and Morgan. That's going to be the matchup to watch out for. Those two are going to set the defensive line, the defense for UCLA. It's all the offensive line and the offense for Arizona. But when it's all said and done, Cody, I'm going. I'm riding with them. I'm going Arizona in this game. I think they pull the upset. They've been they've been streaking lately. I like where this team's going. And uh, the over-under total there, Cody, for this one is at 51 and a half. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but not too high-scoring. I think Arizona wins. I think they win 26 to 20 over UCLA. Great pick. I was going to go 28-21 myself. Arizona, break out some new uniforms or something this weekend. Do yeah, something like some crazy braids. with the zoo. Mm. Do something like a whiteout or something like that and have everyone in white. Let's see if they can do something cool over there in Arizona. <laughs> or some like black unis. That'd be fire. All Ooh. black. They do have these like dark navy with the red helmet that they did a couple years ago when Khalil mm. Tate was the wide receiver or was their quarterback. He was so tough. He was Dude, so tough. What? Khalil Tate. That one month might be arguably one of the best months that we've seen from a quarterback. (laughs) That one month. It was. Bro, in four games, he rushed for 1,300 yards. That's crazy. That's that's ridiculous. That's nuts. Well, let's keep going, Cody. We're we're only halfway through. There's so many good (laughs) games this weekend. We're only halfway through, folks, so stick with us. SEC, 12 Missouri at, which is weird to say, to Georgia, and we'll get to the end about our CFP rankings. Totally forgot to do that at the beginning of the show. To Georgia, 12, Missouri. The, the line right now, Cody, I'm your thoughts on this. 15.5 points, Georgia's favorite by. Last year, Mizzou and Georgia played. It was 26-22. Georgia barely squeaked out a win against Mizzou. And I think the thing that Mizzou's going in this game thinking, they say, hey, this team's not as good as they were last year with Stetson Bennett in the national championships they had with that team. I think they're thinking, hey, this team is worse than what we saw them a year ago. 
We've got Brady Cook back. We've got Schrader back, Cody Schrader, the running back. And they've also got Luther Burden, who didn't really play in this game for Mizzou. So I throw it to you, Cody. What's your biggest thing when you look out for this game, Mizzou or Georgia side, wherever you want to go, when it's all said and done? Sure. Can Carson Beck continue to find his guys outside of Brock Bowers? Lad McConkey rounding back into form. They're able to run the football right now. Carson Beck is putting up great numbers right now. Um, he's in the top 15 in the country in passing yards, completion percentage, and completions. If he can continue to take care of the football and make sure that he's distributing the ball to his playmakers and allowing them to work in space, I think that George is going to be looking really, really good. This is a team this year, when they're down, they don't really get phased, which is so funny. They have the worst first first quarter differential in all college football. They were down seven against Florida. They were down you know, against Auburn. They were down against South Carolina. So this is a team, Mizzou might feel comfortable when they're up, but they shouldn't because Georgia's used to being down um, and coming back from that. I think the biggest thing for Mizzou on the other side, they're very physical. And I think for Carson Beck, we always hear, you know, we say it all the time and some other people say it, when it's easy to confuse a quarterback when blitzing. But I want to throw it to you, Cody. How can Missouri, whose safety is very physical, confuse them in coverage? How can they confuse them when it comes to a coverage standpoint? Because when you can confuse a coverage against Carson Beck, throws off the timing of passes and it may, you know, buy some time for that defensive line of those linebackers to get to Carson Beck. I want to throw it to you, Cody. QB Guru, how can they, how can a defense confuse a quarterback with coverage? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is is making sure that those are zone pressures to start with. And then as you start to get him more uncomfortable and second guessing himself, that's when you can start to go man and kind of do those man pressures where everyone's playing man across the board. I think those zone pressures where you're bringing maybe a field linebacker and dropping a boundary uh, lineman or whatever it might be, bring the nickel off the off the off of the slot. Just throw continuously throw different looks at him and get keep him guessing. Like do your film study, see what teams did successfully against them when they were down, um, and then just continue to duplicate it. Mix them in um, and make sure that you just keep him guessing and allow him to actually make the mistake that you need him to make. I think for Missouri, when when it comes to their offensive standpoint, let's face it, Georgia's going to be able to stop the run. I mean, Cody Schrader's a great running back, 5.8 yards per carry. He's got nine touchdowns, 807 yards. But we saw against Ray Davis against his defense, you got to face it, Missouri fans, they're going to be able to stop the run. So what does Brady Cook need to do? Find Luther Burden, find Oklahoma transfer, Theo Wise. What, does he, what can he do when he's facing pressure, when the running game is not doing well? What does Brady Cook need to do against this? Very tough Georgia defense. You're gonna have to stare down the barrel, man. That's what we call it in the in the quarterback industry. You stare down the barrel, and what a lot of people don't realize is all that means is if I'm standing in the pocket and Georgia brings pressure, I'm gonna have to stand in that pocket and deliver the football while having to eat a hit or two, or mm. ten, or however many it's gonna take this weekend against this Georgia defense. They're gonna bring pressure. They're gonna be physical up front. They're going to try and hit you. If you can stand in there and keep delivering the football, like I said, staring down that barrel and delivering the football, you're going to be just fine. Ten hits is a lot. Oof, against that defensive line from Georgia, that's big. Um, let's get the key to players. Unless you got any more keys there, we'll, we'll kind of continue. We'll wrap up this nope. preview here. I think the big key, Luther Burden. This, this yeah. guy's got to show out. I think he needs eight to ten catches. I think he's got to help Brady Cook. In the short and media passing game, and they got to take a couple deep shots to threaten, you know, Georgia vertically. That's a key player for me. I got. What's a key player for you? 
I also had Luther Burton written down. Um, I think he's going to be the best player on the field um, for both teams because Brock Bowers isn't going to be on the field this, this weekend. Um, I think Luther Burton, if he goes for, like you said, 8 to 10 catches, 150, 160 yards, maybe gets in the end zone twice, um, I think Mizzou's going to be in a really good spot. And my last key here, I mean, Georgia's been able last week, they, if they if Georgia's able to run the ball on second, third, and long and score touchdowns and be able to convert, it's going to be a long day. We mentioned DeWan Edwards. He's been balling recently ever since Brock Bowers been out. He's, his role has been stepped up. But also for Mizzou, if they can limit turnovers, uh, they average seven – sorry, not turnovers. They average penalties. They average seven penalties per game. They had 11 against LSU. It's going to be loud. It's a night game there, or it's a mid, midday game in Georgia. It's going to be loud. Can they limit penalties against Georgia, who doesn't have any penalties? They average like three or two penalties per game. That's something to look out for there, too, with Missouri. Yeah, you know, it's 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 always interesting, right? Like, every time we, like, say, like, oh, yeah, you know, Georgia's kind of, you know, they've kind of struggled a little bit. And then they come back and they boat race Kentucky. And then we're like, oh, you know, Florida has some good athletes. They're going to be able to keep it close. And they beat them by 25 points. And then mm. it's like, here's another game where people are like, oh, Missouri, if if you if you take Missouri lightly, uh, they could mess around and get you. And this just feels like another Georgia, like, it just feels like that feeling of, like, Georgia kind of looking at people and, like, rolling their eyes saying, like, yeah, all right, like, here you guys go again, betting against us. <laughs> That's like when you saw the CFP rankings, and we'll talk about it at the end. Like, Georgia at two, I saw that. If you're Missouri, you're like, shit like that's bulletin board material like they're at two oh oh my gosh man i mean dude even saying two georgia doesn't sound right i i agree with you i think they go out there swinging i think it's a long day for missouri i want to see a close game but i think they win big i got them winning 48 to 20 great pick i don't think they score 48 but i will give you 35 17 georgia with the win 35 to 17. Yeah, 48 would be incredible without Brock Bowers. But, you know, I kind of felt it with my heart there, Cody. Um, I mean, they did it last week against Florida. That is true. That's that's a good point there. Um, Let's move back to the Pac-12. And we're grinding through this episode. We appreciate you all for watching. Like, comment, and subscribe. 16 Oregon State at Colorado. We got to mention Colorado every single time they play. It's a ranked matchup. (laughs) Oregon State coming off of a loss at Arizona. They're going to be hungry. Another road game from Colorado. My question to you, my biggest stand out here, can Colorado match the physicality of Oregon State? Can they make Oregon State one-dimensional? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they can. I think it's going to be a long day for Colorado. I can see on your face they can't match the physicality there. What's the biggest standout for you when you look at this game? Mr. Martinez, run the football early and often, man. DJU, use your legs in the, in the run game as well. Um, Aiden Childs, if you get in the game, use your legs, man. I don't think mm. that Colorado will be able to hold up um, against the physicality of Oregon State. However, I will say this, with the tempo that Colorado plays at, will the Oregon State defense be able to catch their wind at altitude coming from Oregon where they're closer to sea level? So we'll mm. see. Um, if that has an effect maybe later in the football game as Colorado starts to maybe get into a rhythm. We've seen it before. USC was up four scores against Colorado, let them back in the game. Um, Colorado State, although they are already at altitude, they struggled late in the game. Their um, second half, Nebraska struggled against Colorado. So it's just similar. We've seen kind of a similar script there in mm. Boulder. So 
it'll be interesting to see. Some more keys I got for Oregon State. I think Jonathan Smith, don't be cute. We saw that fake field goal before half against Arizona, which was absolutely terrible. We mentioned it in our last episode as the ugly. Don't be cute. Stick to Oregon State football. And you mentioned Aiden Childs. I'm wondering how they use him in this game because Colorado's been, been, been used to not being good against mobile quarterbacks, more of a mobile guy than DJU. I wonder. Aiden Childs got some reps against Arizona, but I wonder if they go more you know, 60-40 with Aiden Childs and DJU. Kind of confuse the Colorado defense there. And I think for Oregon State, they got to get the ball to their, their guy. Um, Anthony Gold on the outside, he's tremendous, explosive. Two catches, 58 yards last week, which included one for 52 against Arizona. I was surprised they didn't really give him the ball much in the second half there, but that's a guy they got to get in space. And, I, and again, a Colorado team defense that's not very good against passing, but more specifically, scramble drill. And if DJU can get out in space and scramble, like we mentioned, Taj Washington, that long touchdown that Caleb Williams had to him against Colorado was in scramble drill. If they can get a guy like Gold or Bolton in space, it's going to be tough for Colorado to be able to tackle them. I think for Gold, Gold and Bolton out in space, really smart wide receivers, both seniors there for Oregon State. Scramble drills going to be something to watch out for. If they can't get pressure with the Stevens alignment from Colorado, is not be able to get in any pressure. I think it's going to be a yes. long day for them when it comes to it. And these DBs are going to be struggling to get in space yes. against those guys. And then lastly, Cody, we'll get into our predictions after we talk about Colorado's keys to victory. I think for Colorado, uh, get Travis Hunter the uh, football at all moments. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, get him the football. And something to keep out for, something to look out for here, Coach Prime called out the offensive line after the game against UCLA, basically saying how, you know, this offensive line is going to change. The future is coming. This isn't the same offensive line you're going to see in weeks to come and i wonder cody are they going to have a different combination of offensive linemen which in week 10 seems more dangerous than kind of keeping the same guys in personally having a new combination there that's something to kind of watch out for but this offensive line has struggled so i wonder if they're going to kind of change the combo there when it's all said and done uh, to try to boost the running game which has been inefficient their leading rusher is dylan edwards with 262 yards rushing that is so bad so your enough. thoughts on the offensive line what Coach Prime said, and then the running game, too. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you said it. F- get the ball to Travis Hunter. I think they need to use Travis Hunter in more fly sweeps, jet sweeps, reverses. Mm. Um, and even with Dylan Edwards, Jimmy Horn Jr., do like, get all your horses the football, man, and find different ways to do it. Get creative, okay? Um, I think at the end of the day, the offensive line is not good enough to be able to hold up for like a true passing game like they want to. So screens, draws, quick hitters, RPOs, just to slow that pass rush down from Oregon State. And can Shador get back in his bag? He started off the year. People were talking Heisman Trophy. His efficiency was going through the roof. He was on pace to break uh, the quarterback efficiency record. Um, But... Ever since then, he's not uh, had that opportunity to do it because he's been getting hit so much. So um, can they protect Shador Sanders long enough and keep him upright to be able to score enough to keep up with Oregon State? All right, let's get into our predictions here. I got Oregon State. Uh, Again, they're hungry. They're angry after a tough loss against Arizona. Might be a tough environment at Colorado, but I think they win big. Um, I don't know how big they score. I'm I'm thinking they score 35 points. I think it's going to be something 40 against Colorado. I'm going to go 35 to 7. 35 to 7, Oregon State. Wow. Sorry. 35 sorry. 7. Sheesh. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Colorado. Sorry. That might be rock bottom. Seven points at home? <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm going to go 34-17. Oregon State wins. Not going Colorado, huh? You're, no. You and him last week, not going again. <laughs> uh, come on, Cody. Come no, on. no. I, I'm just kidding. Okay, all right. Now, this is the game of the weekend for Mr. Cody Oast. Now, rivalry game. We talked about it before the season, the last of the farewells. Uh, the last of Bedlam. Nine Oklahoma at 22 Oklahoma State. And in the CFP rankings, Oklahoma State jumped in. They weren't even in the AP poll, which I think this is a big advantage for Oklahoma if they can take advantage of it. Another ranked game. Oklahoma's favored by five and a half. A little history for those out there that don't know about Bedlam, and we will toss it over to Cody. Come on, say um, it. The first meeting was back in 1904, yep. and I did not know this. Oklahoma leads the series. Come on. 91 to 19 and 7. Mm. 91, 19 <laughs> and 7. They've won their eight of the last 10. Oklahoma State, however, their last win was in 2021 in Stillwater. They won 37-33 to 33 as the number seven team in the country. So, Oklahoma winning last year at Norman, 28-13. This year it's in Stillwater, both ranks. Lopsided rivalry, last of Cody. What are some of your keys? Let's start with Oklahoma on how they can bounce back from a road game last week, tough loss against Kansas, another road game at Oklahoma State last year, Bedlam against Gundy and the boys. Yeah, you know, just firstly, I just want to say, like, it's been, like, obviously I'm a big college football fan. We talk college football every week. Bedlam is one of those rivalry games that you love to see, and it's sad to see it going away with Oklahoma moving to the SEC. Um, I hope they're able to figure out ways to keep this, bring this rivalry back. Um, with that being said, guns down, boomer sooner, let's get her done this weekend, Oklahoma. Um, I think the way they do it um, is they got to be able to run the football get into their GT counter, be able to run the football, um, play fast. Um, can Coach um, Venables limit the run game for Oklahoma State? Um, Kansas ran the ball very effectively. Dylan Gabriel, you can't turn the ball over, bro. That pick six you threw at the beginning of that game against Kansas got them confident, got the crowd into the game. And mm. Stillwater is going to be a tougher environment than Lawrence, Kansas was. No disrespect to Lawrence, Kansas. You guys showed up. You guys showed out. But anytime there's a rivalry game, and we know that this is going to be the last one that we're going to see for a while, I wouldn't be surprised if we see record number of crowds, record number of crowd noise. Um, and it's going to be an intense rivalry atmosphere for Oklahoma State at home against Oklahoma. So I think, like I said, Oklahoma, you got to make sure you run the football, sustain drives, score, um, can't kick field goals in the red zone. And once you have Oklahoma State down, you got to expand the lead. Because the way they're able to run the football and lean on people throughout a game with Ollie Gordon, um, they're tough to beat. Some more keys for Oklahoma, and then we'll get to the other side of it. Uh, like you said, I think they got to limit turnovers for Oklahoma. Gabriel's been playing well all season. That pick six early against Kansas definitely rattled him off for the rest of the game. I think they've got to be able to get him going on the rushing, running game as well for Oklahoma. On the other side of it, I'll throw it to you. If they could somehow make Bowman if, – if, if they could somehow make Bowen – win the game with them throwing the football. I think you got to get caps off to Oklahoma State if they can win the game with Bowman throwing the football. I don't think he's a very good quarterback. We've seen Ollie Gordon, which we'll talk about him in just a minute. But if they could force Bowman to throw, I think that pit, that that plays in Oklahoma's favor. Another thing to mention here, and I'll throw it to you, they can somehow 
bring blitzes and bring pressures like they did against Texas. They had zero sacks last week for Oklahoma against Kansas. They were all over the place against Texas. A lot of sacks. I think they had four or five sacks against this Texas offensive line. And, and, a, and a key guy of their defense that's going to be back. This is big news. Uh, Venable said that Danny Stutzman, their stud linebacker, um, he'll be probably back this week. Coach Venable said pretty confident that he'll play against Oklahoma State. He Love suffered it. a knee injury against Kansas, but he's a very tough mother effer when it's all said and done. So can they get to Bowman and make him uncomfortable? That's my biggest question there for him. But I'm going to go to you. What are some other keys for you for Oklahoma's defense to slow down the running game and force Bowman to pass, who's had a lot of interceptions. He had two interceptions in two weeks. Load the box, and guess what? Alan Bowman is going to throw it to Billy Bowman twice. Mm. DB, Billy Bowman, safety, nickel, whatever you want to call him. He will pick Alan Bowman off two times this weekend and start to stretch the lead for Oklahoma against this Oklahoma State offense. Um, I think as long as you allow, like, if if Ollie Gordon gets 150 yards rushing, I think Oklahoma's fine. If he starts to crack the 200, 225, even get up into that 250 like he has the last couple weeks, um, Oklahoma's going to be in trouble. Yeah, you mentioned Ollie Gordon. Um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, they started the season 2-2 two and two in their, their October month has been probably one of the best October months in all of college football. This dude, Ollie Gordon, 121, 136 yards against Kansas State, 168 yards against Kansas, 282 yards against West Virginia, and then 272 yards, two touchdowns against Cincinnati. And he's also racked up eight touchdowns in those four weeks. So I don't know how or I mean, Oklahoma's going to be able to do it, but they got to be able to slow down Gordon when it's all said and done. I know it's tough for you to say this, but what can Oklahoma State do to win this football game <laughs> against Oklahoma? What are some keys? I know you're an Oklahoma guy. Let's talk some keys when it's all said and done for Oklahoma State. you got to feed Gordon, but is there anything else that Oklahoma State can do to slow down Oklahoma and give them their second straight loss? Nope. There's nothing they can do. Nothing. All right. Let's get, the, let's get the analyst side of it. All right. Let's get the analyst side of it. Um, no, re- realistically, I think if you, you can't let Dylan Gabriel extend plays and use his legs in the passing game as well, um, I think he did a really good job against Texas quarterback draws, design quarterback runs, um, even off script running plays. He was able to get out of the pocket and directly affect the game. It, e- even if you watch that last drive, there was that ball down the middle to Drake Stoops that gained like 40 yards, was not an original called play. He kind of stood up in the pocket, climbed up in the pocket sprinted out to his left and made a throw down the middle of the field to Stoops to kind of set up that last touchdown um, against Texas in that game. So if they can keep Dylan Gabriel in the pocket, don't allow him to rush for 70, 80, 100 yards on his own, um, I think Oklahoma State will actually be in a, in a pretty good position. Let's get into our predictions, Cody. And I'm going to start out with you. Give us your prediction for the last year of Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Who comes out on top? Cody, the floor is yours. I think you said it at the beginning. 91-19-7. They rush the field every time they beat us because it's only happened like four times this millennium. I'm going to go 35-31 Oklahoma in a classic football game. Send Bedlam off the right way. Um... And hopefully, like I said, we'll be able to kind of run it back at some point um, in the in the near future. For me, when I look at this one, good pick there. 
Dylan Gabriel looked like the old Dylan Gabriel last week. I was a little hesitant of Oklahoma. I thought they were going to be that team. I still think they can. It's just tough. On the road at Oklahoma State, they're hot right now. But when that's all said and done, I can't root for Alan Bowen. Mo, I can't, I can't do it. Ollie Gordon's going to have a day. But when it's all said and done for the quarterback position, which is the most important position, I can't go with Alan Bowman, man. I can't do it. Oklahoma State, great season. But I think Oklahoma wins. As an analyst, I think Oklahoma wins. And, of course, my guy's a big Oklahoma fan. I think they win. I'm going to go 38-35. I think it's a close game. I think it's high scoring. I think Oklahoma pulls out the win, and they're back on track, Cody. Great pick, Jackson. (laughs) Guns down, baby. Guns Guns down. Guns down, baby. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Appreciate you all for watching. Last game. We talk about favorite teams. One of my favorites, Notre Dame. 15 Notre Dame at Clemson. Notre Dame is favored in this one by three, which is kind of low. I was kind of shocked that it was only three there. But um, this one, man, I'm going to start with Clemson, then we'll go to Notre Dame. Uh, Some things to look out for Clemson. Will Shipley was in concussion protocol, uh, so it's more likely that Mafia Mafia is going to get more carries, which I'm not a big fan of him personally. I don't think he really picks up blitzes. Uh, it is not really that, you know, he's not really good in the red zone. Uh, that's not really explosive. It doesn't really give you that edge like Will Shipley does. But when it's all said and done, this is a weird game for Clemson. They're 4-4. Four and four. I don't know if you saw that call that came out with Dallas Sweeney in that fan, uh, that whole phone call. It's like six minutes long of him just kind of going off on this guy, basically saying how you're the problem, how we've had, you know, 12, 10, year, 10 win seasons in a row. We won two national championships, blah, 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 blah. This, to me, Seems like a game for Clemson. It's at 9 a.m., uh, 12 or 11 a.m. their time. This is a win the fan base back game for Clemson. Ooh. Air it out. Trick plays. Nothing to lose. I think this is a game where you got to win back this fan base for Block Clemson. A Block a punt. Punt return touchdown. Because this Clemson fan base is going to be mad. And if they somehow lose this game, fifth loss, four and five, this fan base is going to be downhill. It's not going to look good for them for the rest of the year. But let's start out with Clemson. What are some things that Clemson needs to do to get out of this rut and maybe even upset Notre Dame? Let's start out with Clemson. I think you said it. We both said it. I think you got to do something drastic. Double reverse pass, flea flicker to start the game. Uh, maybe even just play action and let it fly with Cade Klubnik. Uh, mm. Block like if if it's Notre Dame on on offense. The crowd's going to be into the game, maybe on that first punt. Like, let's say they force a three and out from Notre Dame, go after the punt, or maybe even set up a, a reverse on the on the punt return. Do something mm-hmm. to affect this game in a way that, you know, stealing a possession, stealing some points. Fake a punt, maybe, if you guys are on offense and go three and out. Um, Yeah, just find ways to kind of energize, like you said, this crowd. Because I think if they can make it close after halftime, I think that Death Valley crowd will start to really bear down on Notre Dame and make it hard for Sam Hartman in that offense. It's interesting, too, because for Clemson, they always know it for their wide receivers. And this is the first year where it's like, I can't even name one. I can't even, like, you can't even name a wide receiver for Clemson. <laughs> and that's scary because Notre Dame's a team, which good news for them. Um, Cam Hart and Ben Morrison had injuries last week. They're going to be able to be back. And Strap. that's a team where they trust the hell out of their DBs. One on one, they don't care. We're gonna stack the box and pressure, especially a guy like Klubnik, who's been awful against the pressure. I think he's gonna be pressured a lot. 
Um, I mean, this this Clemson rushing defense is – I mean, this Clemson – sorry, this Clemson rushing offense is pretty good. I think they're going to try to, you know, stack the box there and force Cade Klubnick to throw. My question to you is, is this a must-win game when it's all said and done for Garrett Riley? You think there's a lot of pressure for him maybe even leaving mm. after the season? I know it was one year. But what do you think about Garrett Riley when it's all said and done? What does he need to do to scheme-wise against a quarterback that's been kind of struggling against a really good defense in Notre Dame? Now, I don't think it's a must-win, but I will say this. It might be the kind of when they say like the precursor to the end or like the beginning of the end for him. Mm. Um, I think that if he loses this game and they don't have a good showing on offense, um, maybe they'll give him one more year with Klubnik under his wing um, just to kind of mm. see if but they might be able to point back to, yeah, when you lost to Notre Dame at home by two touchdowns, that's when we decided that it was kind of start time to start looking for someone else. <laughs> yeah, and then that's a tough situation for Clubnet because if they get a new OC, does he transfer or does he get his third OC in three years? Mm. Kind of a tough situation for Clemson and what they're going to do on that standpoint. For Notre Dame, uh, biggest blow, which I texted you this early this week, Mitchell Evans out for the season torn ACL. Tough. Big blow. Especially he was the number one target for Sam Hartman in, in a receiver room that's super inexperienced and very young. A uh, big blow. Look out for either, you know, Holden Stass, uh, who's played 181 snaps, played in all nine games, started six in a system where it's two tight ends. And another guy that we saw in seven on seven, who had his first touchdown last week, Cooper Flanagan, which I think is a guy that's a freshman. I think he's going to get some snaps, especially where it's the red shirt rule of four games. I think they want to kind of give him that experience, you know, being a young guy at Clemson, hostile environment, you know, a big program. I could see him playing. He's played in 62 snaps this season. Yep. I don't know what his red shirts are. Red shirts rules are there, but I think he's a guy that, that would be able to play for Notre Dame. But when it's all said and done for this offense, it's got to run through Audric Estime. Uh, this guy's had 209 yards the last two games. Um, it's five touchdowns. I think you run through him, give him the rock. But if it's all said and done, Sam Hartman can air it out. It's wide receiver unit. They're my key players. Chris Tyree, leading wide receiver. He's still there. Jaden Thomas back last week for the first time with his injury. Big frame. I think he needs to step up on the outside. And then Rico Flores Jr., he's been a freshman, and it's cool to see these young guys get some reps. It's nerve-wracking sometimes because they're inexperienced, but when you're week 10, it definitely adds up, and it definitely you know gives more of a future. You know, there's a, there's, there's a lot in the future for this team when it's all said and done. First recruiting class for Marcus Freeman. They've been showing out this whole freshman group. But, you know, Jeremiah Love on top of that. Cooper Flanagan, uh, Chris no, uh, Rico Flores, and then Jaden Brayhouse, who might not be playing there. But what do you look at for this Notre Dame offense? I know I just talked a lot there. That's my fault. But <laughs> when, when you look at Notre Dame's offense, what do they need to do against Clemson? I think you got to have success running the football. Audric Estime, uh, Mr. Love, got to make sure that they're getting the ball. I think a combined 35 to 40 carries. Um, is going to be necessary in order to make sure that you keep uh, Clemson's defense on the field, take that crowd out of it, long, sustained drive, Sam Hartman, don't turn the ball over, um, mm -hmm. be your normal, efficient self in the intermediate and short passing game, um, allow those young receivers to kind of grow up on the job, um, along with Cooper Flanagan at tight end. Um, and I think they'll be just fine. You know, I think Notre Dame is primed and ready. Um, I think they finally got kind of like the pressure of we got to go undefeated or only have one loss to get to the CFP. I think that's gone now. So I think they're able to just play um, and play loose and free right now. So I think Notre Dame um, is in a prime position to win this football game. What's nice for Notre Dame is Sam Harmon's face these ACC teams being at Lake Forest. I know he wants revenge. Last year they played 
Wake Forest played Clemson. It was an Five, overtime four, game. And Sam Hartman had a 20 of 29 yards, 20 of 29, 337 yards passing, six touchdowns. And now he's got a running game too with Estime. I know he wants revenge at Clemson. He's used to it. But when it's all said and done, Cody, I got Notre Dame winning this one. And the spread's three. I think they win by more than three here. I think they win by 14 points. His team's on fire right now. Best two loss team in the country. Sorry, LSU, but we'll see what you do what? against. We'll see what you do against Bama. I think they're the best <laughs> two loss team in the country. Give me Notre Dame. They win big, forty-one to twenty. Forty-one twenty. Oh, oh, that's confident. Wow. <laughs> Hammer the three points. Twenty-eight seventeen. Notre Dame. Clemson. You can't score. Garrett Riley. Sorry, UNK Klubnik experiment has not been working. Twenty-eight seventeen. Mm-hmm. And whispers of Dabo Sweeney possibly getting fired. Never know. I don't know. That's a big contract to fill for Clemson if they do that. Big contract. And with that, eight games, eight previews, eight predictions in the book. Let's clap it up, Cody. Who does it better than us? Nobody. We do the research. You see all the notes in the back for both of us. Mr. Cody Oaks there. Um, Fire episode. Fire episode when it's all said and done. Real quickly, as we wrap this one up, we always start with the AP poll, and it's my bad for not starting out with the college football playoff rankings came out for the first time. Just curious, your thoughts. We'll start out at the top. Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, um, Washington, Oregon, Texas, Bama, Oklahoma, Ole Miss. Any problems you have with the top 10? Ohio State at one. Not at all. I said that that was what they were going to do based on their resume. Um, in our last recap show, um, at the end of the day, I think that uh, the the best part about Michigan and Ohio State, they get a chance to play, so they'll sort that out. Oregon and Washington, they already play, but they'll probably end up playing again, so they'll be able to sort that mm-hmm. out. Um, Georgia, you have a couple big games coming up down the stretch, so that'll sort itself out. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, shoot, Texas, you might be out this weekend. So mm-hmm. um, I think at the end of the day, I think, they did the the committee did exactly what they what I thought they did and I think they might have motivated a couple of teams Georgia being one and U- University of Washington being one. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I tweeted out I thought Georgia should have been one just because of the back to back national champions. I don't really think you should have thrown them, but the resume of Ohio State. Now when I take a step back, it was the right move. I thought Ohio State was gonna be two. Uh, I didn't think they would up, up Georgia, but now you got a pissed off Georgia against Missouri, which is interesting there. Uh, Michigan at three wasn't wasn't a problem for me. Four four to state. Again, most of those teams in the top four, even six, control their own destiny. Oregon Absolutely. wins out, they're in. Washington wins out, they're in. Texas wins out, it's kind of tough. They're going to have to hope, you know, a Florida State loses. That's another interesting thing there I thought was Texas over Oklahoma after Oklahoma beat Texas. But again, a tough loss at Kansas. You look at the head-to-head of Texas and Kansas versus, which was the week before, I think, or a week, two weeks before um, Oklahoma played Kansas. So that was yeah. something, too, which I wonder your thoughts there. You're fine with Texas over Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma can bounce back and get a ranked win. Texas has a ranked win as well. But your thoughts about Texas at seven, Oklahoma at nine? Yeah, I think the perception of the loss of Texas to Oklahoma is a better loss than Oklahoma losing to Kansas. And also mm-hmm. Texas has the Alabama win on the road in Tuscaloosa by 10 under their belt as well. So I understand it. Look- yeah, yeah. Looking at eleven to twenty-five, I don't really have any issues with, um, and even when it's all said and done, my only thing here is we're, we always talk about the mid-majors. Tulane above Air Force is really interesting. 
So now you got Tulane who lost to Ole Miss. Strength of schedule plays in for that. Your thoughts about Tulane Air Force when it's all said and done? I don't know who slips in. If both teams went out, Tulane's obviously got the advantage there. But if you're Air Force, you're hoping for another loss, I guess, to maybe squeak squeak by. Either a loss or maybe go win your conference championship. You know, I mean, I think if Air, it'll be really hard to deny Air Force if they're thirteen and zero and undefeated heading into that mm-hmm. last weekend. So, and we, yeah, and maybe even like a you know a Fresno State if they went out, maybe they could slip in. Be a ranked win, I guess, for Air Force. Absolutely, them UNLV. Um, I mean, obviously, we we talked about UNLV and Fresno State last week. Um, I think that. Uh, at the end of the day, like I said, Air Force, you went out. I think you guys get in, but Tulane's only loss is a, a small loss at home to Ole Miss, and the perception of Ole Miss mm-hmm. is obviously better than anything the Mountain West has to offer. Plus, Tulane was missing uh, Michael Pratt in that football game, which I think the committee has to take into account is injuries. So um, I think that played a big part in it as well. It's time for <laughs> upset picks. Let's get right into it, Cody. You got two upset picks. I got one. What's your upset pick of the week? My upset pick of the week. They came back and they shocked Colorado. They almost got Washington. Stanford goes on the road to the Palouse and beats Jake Dykert, Cam Ward, and sputtering Washington State and sends them to their fifth loss in a row after starting 4-0. Wow. Wow. Okay, Stanford, a little, little upside there. Big win for Wazoo. You talk about a downfall. My sell last week was Wazoo. <laughs> for me, um, this team was called a basketball school last week, beat Clemson. Miami, Van Dyke played last week, but he's still nursing that injury. I got NC State winning at home against Miami. The upset NC State, the Wolfpack continue to ride in the ACC, and Miami fans question Mario Cristobal once again. <laughs> love the pick. Love the pick. Well, Miami is a fraud. They're too young. I don't think that they're mm-hmm. good enough. Great mm-hmm. pick. Lastly, totally forgot, Cody. You got some quick hits for week nine or week ten, excuse me. I'm gonna throw it to you real quick. You got some quick hits that people should look out for in week ten. Couple quick hits. I mean, you guys have heard about them quite a bit on the on the show the last few weeks. James Madison Dukes. Did you mm-hmm. know they are the number one ranked rushing defense in the country? And they have the number one amount of sacks in the country with 39. Also, and oh, sorry. Go ahead. And also, Rutgers. Rutgers is bowl eligible, six and two in the Big Ten East. So, shout out to Rutgers. You guys are going bowling this year. They're doing such a good job over there in Piscataway. Shout out to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. What's interesting about James Madison? If they're they're not bowl out, they're, they're in bowl band again this year. But if there's not enough six six teams, they can make a bowl game. Which again, it wouldn't be a New Year's six game, which they deserve being undefeated, but still a bowl game for the seniors and for James Madison. We're all fans of James Madison here on this program. We'd love to see it, Cody. James Madison Dukes, if you guys are watching this show, don't be afraid to send myself and Jackson a jersey. Mm. We're your biggest fans outside mm. of Virginia. Just letting you guys know. Yeah, even though James Madison, you guys killed Montana in the playoffs before you went to the FBS. <laughs> yeah. We still love James Madison here. The best, you know, mascot, the Dukes, the color scheme, the purple, the gold over there in James Madison. With that, we put a cap on this episode. Episode 23, a banger. Appreciate y'all for watching. Subscribe, like, comment below. But Cody, your last thoughts as we prepare for a great week 10. 
man, just, you know, like you said, this will probably be one of the more penultimate weekends um, of the season. Some great games. You start to separate yourselves. As we said at the beginning of, this, of the episode, the games you remember are the games played in November. So um, mm. the time is now for a lot of these guys to go. And also, as the Heisman Trophy race starts to heat up, Jaden Daniels, big stage. Michael Penix and Caleb Williams, big stage. Um, can they rise to the occasion? I'm so excited to watch this week, 10. For those watching, subscribe, like, comment. Put the notification on. If you put the notification on, you'll know when we post. We post clips. We post full episodes. As well as follow us on Instagram at the point, un, the point after underscore. I almost said the point underscore after. Yeah, no. The <laughs> point after underscore is where you can find us. But for Cody Oaks and Jackson Groff, have a great week 10. Appreciate you for watching. As always, do your research. We'll see you on Monday morning. Peace. <laughs>